hello, ladies. Hi, my name is Bethany, and um, I am super privileged to be here um, this weekend. I know that uh, the last time I was with Michelle was in the springtime, and uh, she had me at a uh, a pastor's wives uh, luncheon and on a panel, and I was going through the ringer, and I was processing some things that the Lord um, had us go through, and I was I was terrified because I thought I was going to lose it because I thought I didn't have anything good to say. And the Lord was so gracious and nobody asked me some questions that kind of touched on my sensitive spot, you know, like it was so nice. So now, even now, I've been processing things. So I'm here to share with you um, about becoming one with the Father through a storm or through trials. And so as I was thinking and praying about this uh, particular session and this theme, I was thinking about, much like Sandy, how um, about vows, marriage vows, and how, you know, the moment we say I do is the moment we become, you know, uh, wives, even though we might not know what we're doing as wives. And then I was thinking about the vows themselves. And so I was thinking about how we promise and commit to um, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And we know, though, that um, oftentimes when those hard times hit, when those trials and storms hit a marriage, um, we flee. People flee. The divorce rate is higher than ever before, right? And if it doesn't feel good, if I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get out of this, I'm out of here. That's kind of the whole mentality of marriage these days. And um, they run, they give up, they quit. And um, But on the flip side of that, though, there are those who have stayed committed. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning, is that those who have remained in marriage, when the going gets tough, when you have suffered loss and have suffered a blow, and, an unex- and it's usually ex- unexpected, right? Some, most of the time we don't see it coming. It's just, it's so surprising. Um, I wanted to talk about remaining in the commitment. Uh, and then you often hear from those that have been married years and years and years that it's those very tough times that, had, that have drawn those people together, that had solidified and knit their hearts even closer um, than ever before. In fact, some of them, they look back on those trials that ha- they have faced and that they've conquered as victories. It's like their prizes and, and like medals that they're wearing around their neck like the Olympics. So, um, and so something supernatural happens when you have endured together through commitment um, a trial. This closeness happens. It just oozes. It's supernatural. We can't eke it out ourselves. It just it happens. Are you following me? You got it? Okay. It is kind of hard to see you. All right. I love this. Yes. You know, I got it. Okay, um, and so then I was thinking that's the same thing with the, our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Him, and and I could look back on my I've been walking with the Lord. I'm oh I was going to answer all of those questions that you might be thinking about me. Um, I'll be 46 this year, and um, I've been married for 17 years, and this is not my real hair color, so I don't know my weight, and I'm five six, so. Uh, but I could look back on, 
Oh, my shoes are so cute. Aren't they cute? (laughs) I got them at the rack. Um, Okay. So I can look back on... I I, I went to... to, um, when I was a kid, I went to Maranatha Christian Academy and um, in Costa Mesa, kindergarten through eighth grade. They didn't have a high school there. So I had given my life to the Lord when I was in kindergarten. And so, and so I've been walking with the Lord a long time. And, uh, and I rededicated my life to the Lord, you know, as an, as an early, as a young adult. And so, um, but I could look back on every difficult time, every, every, tragedy that has hit and suffering that that the Lord allowed into my life. And I can truly say that it is those times that have brought me closer to the Lord than ever before. Some of those I say that, you know, what I would I want to do over again? No. You know, I did did I have fun? Did I enjoy it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it has uh, given me so much knowledge, like not just head knowledge, but is it Yada, I think it's yada, which is like personal, personal knowledge that I've gained because I've lived it, and that is, um, and that's kind of what that becoming one with the Father is—that yada knowledge that I have lived it, and I know it down deep in my heart, and it has become a part of me. Um, and so, uh, and at that point, if we stay, if we remain in this relationship with the Lord, because I'm sure that you know of people that have been walking with the Lord and they are no longer walking, right? And, um, but if you remain with him during those difficult times, during those storms, um, the Lord does that same supernatural thing that he does between a husband and a wife. He brings us closer to him. And then you can watch him do more supernatural things like turns sorrow into joy. He doesn't replace it. He turns it into joy, which I think is just super exciting. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to James 1, 12. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who loved him. And so I think that the first thing that we need to lay hold of, our first goal is first to remain. Stay in the boat. When tough times, when that storm comes and those big waves start hitting you, don't jump ship. Stay in the boat. Um, and so it depends on it that you, regardless if you're steadfast or not, whether you have become, you know, gotten first place or second, it doesn't matter. If you don't remain, you have no opportunity to run the race, right? You've jumped ship. So remain in the game. And so I've been asked to share about becoming one with the Father through trial. And to be honest, it is a process, Right? And some trials take longer to process than others. And as far as this last process or this last trial is concerned in my life, I'm still processing. I'm still kind of I'm kind of in the upswing. Like I'm kind of I've I've almost you know standing on I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm standing on you know solid ground and I've I've learned a lot, but I'm still like processing some things. 
And so, um, but it is from this particular trial and uh, a few others that I'll be drawing these nuggets, um, these things that I have learned about God, about myself, uh, about how to walk. Um, And these treasures that I've collected along the way, I've made my own. And I've made my own, and they have become part of me. And they are changing and transforming, like Sandy said, transforming and, and conforming me to be like him. They are changing the way I perceive things, the way I, um, and the things that I, in where, where I place my hope, different things about me that I thought were like already there because I've been walking with the Lord a long time, but oh my gosh, we still have so far to go. And so, um, it's, so it's from those things that I'm going to, that it's that how God transforms me, and it's supernatural, and that's how we are one with the Father. And so, but first I wanted to talk to you just a tiny bit about hope, okay? The working definition of the word hope is to look forward to with great desire and reasonable confidence or boldness to feel that something desired may happen, okay? And so when I said yes to Jesus, I, I was pretty confident that life with Christ would be better than my life without him. I was in a devastating point when I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I was pretty hopeful, pretty confident. And um, we all came here this weekend with a hope that we would hear from the Lord, right? That we would leave changed, that we would have things, be equipped with things that we didn't come here with. We have hope that we would have a good time, make memories, um, make new friends, and deepen the ones that we already have, um, eat a meal that somebody else prepared um, that's good and we didn't have to clean up. Um, these are all hopes that we're pretty confident going into the weekend. In fact, hope is what compels us really to do anything and everything. When I wake up in the morning, I, I sit down to read my word in hopes that I will hear from heaven. Okay? And I'll tell you what, some days I just don't. Some days it's not this big aha moment like, oh, the Lord has spoken to me and this is what it is. But you know, um, I am hopeful that he does. And I'll tell you what, the more time I spend in the word, the more times I do hear from him. So God wants us to hope and just continue in these hopes, even if we're not going to get what we had gotten. But we, he, he's put that hope in our heart, right? That desire in our heart. So we want to keep walking through it. Um, hope is an intrinsic part of being human. You cannot function without hope. A person with no hope in anything is a person with no desire, no aspiration, or will to live. Hal Lindsay says, a man can live about 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, and about one second without hope. Because if you didn't have hope, what's the point? Why why do we even get up out of bed? Why go to work? If I'm not going to produce anything or do anything that is worthwhile or have any pleasure or there's nothing to look forward to, what's the point? And I know that many of you Christ followers um, 
may feel this way or know somebody that does. Maybe you came here this weekend with that feeling of hopelessness, whether it be in life in general or with a certain particular area of your life that is hitting you, that's, that's weighing you down. I know that um, as a Christ follower, Christ is our hope, right? And so sometimes you get to that feeling of hopelessness and you think, how in the world did I get here? I, I know better, but I just don't have it. And I venture to say that many of you that feel that way or that are experiencing that is because of trials, tough time, suffering, difficulty, loss, pain, things that you've, you're experiencing that are in your life. And, and sometimes it's not just the trial itself. Sometimes it's the length that the trial lasts. Are you with me? Like sometimes these trials and this thing that you're going through, it just takes forever to pass. And it, and it diminishes our hope. And I was thinking of sand at the beach and just how you can hold sand and it just kind of just slips through your fingers and, and you can just feel it diminishing. And that's sometimes how I have felt with hope and that the hope that I had is diminishing just like sand. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And how many of you have been facing trials that are just so lengthy? One year two years, three years, you've been praying for the same thing all this time, whether you have a prodigal. Um, some, you know, our kids that we love the most, our most prized possessions, have walked away from the Lord or leave, leading reckless lives. And you've been praying for years for them to return. And you worry and the anxiety. Maybe it's your marriage that is on the rocks. Maybe it's you singles praying for a spouse for years, and you're like just about ready to throw in the towel. How about those of you that are longing for a child, that want to get pregnant, and are just having troubles getting pregnant, and it's just like your heart is sick because that hope, it just, it's like you're running out of hope you've been hoping for it for so, so long, and it hurts your heart. And I don't know about you, but when my heart hurts for a long period of time, I get mad, and then I get into defense mode, and I'm ready to box, and I am ready to just like fight, and I am not going to let it hurt me anymore, and I'm just going to get mad, and I'm going to be callous and mean about the whole situation, and so I close down, build a wall. Am I alone in this? Right? No. Um, so just a little bit about our story is uh, just recently, well, kind of recently. Um, so my husband took over the church about two years ago. And with that, we inherited the best, the best sheep ever. I'm sorry. They're so good. Uh, we have served under Mike and Sandy for like 10 years or more. And uh, they were already our family. They, we love them and they loved us. They were all so, they're all so very parent-ish 
to us. They are our biggest fans. Um, and, and there's just the friendships and love that was already established. That it couldn't have been a better, smoother transition. And so for that, I'm so, so grateful. Um, and and with, though, with, with the transition and that inheritance, we also inherited our lease, which was going to be up in a couple years, two years after Philip, um, or three years after Philip took over the church. And so... Uh, and this is, wasn't a new thing. We knew we were counting down, and, um, and we knew that we were going to lose our lease. Our lease, the, the property we were on, was 20 acres. It was pretty big. It had a uh, preschool all the way through high school. It was thriving. Um, there were just hundreds and hundreds of kids on our campus every single day. Ministry happened there every night of the week. There was support groups, prayer groups, Bible studies there. People were getting saved, delivered. Um, and, they, and these kids, they would learn about the Lord and then bring it home, and families were changed and strengthened, and counseling was going on. And I mean, it was just really um, hustle and bustle for the Lord. And so we had like all these years, three years, to, to look for a property. And so we were filled with confidence and boldness and um, that our desire was going to be met, that the Lord would either let us stay on our campus that we could buy it from our, our, the people who owned it, or God was going to pick up the ministry and plop it maybe, you know, a mile away and keep us in the vicinity, please. And so we were super confident, though, in our prayers. And as we looked, you know, it was just very like, our God is going to, you know, he's not going to leave his, leave his bride in the, in the middle of the road. And so, and not only that, every time I opened up my Bible, I was super encouraged reading verses. We were going through the Old Testament, and I, I, I read things of, be of good courage, salvation will come in the morning, and um, wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord. And I was like, yes, and it was just easy and God was filling me with scripture and and um, just with power and strength to continue in the waiting and so that's what I was dispensing to people that would come to me as they were like ah, you know where are our kids going to go to school is our school going to be open where's the church moving and I heard this and you can't I can't tell you all the gossip and all of the crazy things that they'd come to me with and I'd be like oh my gosh the Lord has got this he will show us his plan when he's ready to. And I was so confident in what I was dispensing. The Lord would fill me daily, and that's what I would give out. Until three months before D-Day hit, I, we woke up that morning and we thought, oh my gosh, it's like three months away that we have to be off our campus, and God has shown us nothing. Nothing. And um, my hope started to diminish super quick like that confidence and that strength and that that faith stuff that I was dispensing ran out really quickly there is you know when you go up to a vending machine because you are hungry and you're like I want something salty and something sweet and you get there and it's empty and you're like I've got my dollar I had nothing to dispense I had nothing good to tell anybody or to say to anybody. I started to worry. I started to doubt. I started to question. I was mad, and I was mad at the Lord. I was mad at our situation. I was super sad, crying. Um, My faith was flailing. 
I had to get counseling. And so I got a counselor. And I won't even ask for a show of hands, but you all probably need counseling too at one time or another, right? And I know your church provides counsel for those that need it. And so when you need it, you are responsible for going and getting it. So do it. So I went and got a counselor and I was like, and I, you know, poured out my heart. And these counselors, I think that the Lord ministers through them so clearly and so precisely, and they, they ask questions that are so simple that get right down to the heart of it. And, and oftentimes, the things that, are, that I am told to think about, it, she allows me to come up with my own conclusions with the Lord. Oftentimes, she doesn't say, well, this is what you got to do. She kind of lets me. So she asks me this question, and it, and it just brought me to my knees. It says, what, and he, she said, what is your biggest fear? What are you afraid of? What is your biggest fear? And so I didn't know, and I didn't know, and it took me some time with the Lord to figure out what my biggest fear was. And when it got right down to it, because I had thought, well, what? What if I'm never, I'm not going to be a pastor's wife? What if my husband's going to work at Home Depot? You know, what if I have to go back and cut hair? Like, what happens if my kids have to go to public school? All these things were like fears, right? Things that, that I would worry about and have anxiety about. But my biggest fear was that my God was not who I thought he was or that I had believed him to be all these years. I was afraid that he was going to let me fall and he would turn his back on me and, and I was done. Like that's my, that was my biggest fear. My heart was sick. So I started isolating and I was hiding because I, I knew I didn't have anything good to say to anybody and, and, I, and we live 35 miles from our church <laughs> and so it's so easy for me to stay in Chula Vista But the Lord, when I was down in Chula Vista, he's so faithful. And one of the first things he said to me was, girl, own your stuff. Like, if you are having a hard time processing this, so are other people. So your job is to go, go there and be honest with them. And you can work with it together. Be honest with yourself. And, and, he's like, and he said, be honest with me. And so... I was thinking about that, and so then, you know, the process of just completely pouring my heart out before the Lord and being honest with him and all of my fears and all of my, my things that were in my head that sounds so sinful, but I am sinful, but God wants us to pour it out to him, regardless of what it says, the good, the bad, the ugly, he wants it all. David did. David owned what he was feeling, what he was thinking. And when he was on the run from Saul, when he was running and fleeing for his life, the king of the land and all of his troops, with all of their resources and weapons, were after this one man. And he was running. And he was hiding. And that's where he wrote many of the Psalms. And many of the Psalms, if you don't know, but because Sandy told you to read them, you will, they start out in anguish. 
David would start out with his, the reality of where he is, where his heart was, where his mind was, with anguish, confusion, anger. I mean, he even asked the Lord to chop up his enemies in little pieces and scatter them. Like, my, I don't even go that far. But if David could do that, I, mean, I guess I can pour out my craziness too. He, um, he poured out his fear, feelings of being lost, forsaken, forgotten by his God. But as he's pouring out these thoughts and emptying his heart, sure enough, by the end of many of those psalms come praise and thanksgiving and your, your will be done. Whatever it is, Lord, you are my Lord. And so something supernatural happens. And this is one of the nuggets that God showed me of becoming one with him, is that as we pour out our hearts, he fills us with praise. And during a trial, that is so important. It's so important. So be honest. If any of you are feeling like that, um, if any of you are feeling like that, that and you're, try, you're starting to isolate because you've got nothing good to say, be honest and pour out your heart. And, and pour out your heart before the Lord. And if there's somebody special that you know is wise and, and has a wonderful relationship with the Lord, pour your heart out to them as well. And I, I am sure that the Lord will fill you with praise, with thanksgiving, and with more of like a your will be done attitude. I found this quote. It says, God can do nothing for me until I recognize the limits of what is humanly possible, allowing him to do the impossible. So God, see, God's hands are tied. Until I recognize and realize that I can't do it, he's like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the space of, well, I can do it without him. So he's like, go right ahead. Go, it's okay. And so until we say, Lord, I, I recognize I can't do it. And so when we reach that, and oftentimes I think storms come into our lives so that we do recognize I can't do it. And at first when those storm clouds come and the waves start coming, you know, it's not like super bad yet. You know, and you're like, I can handle this. I got it. You know, and, and I know that I can read my word and pray and, and, and do what I need to do, but then like, it just keeps getting worse and worse, and sometimes it, get wor- it gets worse for so long. And it brings us to the point of, like, I can't do it anymore. I do not know how. I am not equipped to continue in this. Trials often expose us. Not to him, because he already knows, but it, they expose us. They expose me to me. They show me who really I am, that I can't do it. They, sh- they often leave us fallen, failed, throwing in the towel, and we've gotten it so wrong. And you know what? I know our aim is to get it right. Our aim is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our aim, you know, is to stay in the boat, but I do know that sometimes we bail because we're human. But I wanted to just remind you that we have a God who never bails. We have a God who is faithful and true, and he wants to make sure that you know you aren't God, and we're not like him. But through time and through sanctification, we will look like him. 
So, um, so these, these trials do, um, do expose us, but I feel like without the exposing of that, we, are, uh, we can't be deeply reminded of his faithfulness. I also found this quote. It says, God's spirit continually reveals to his children what human nature is like apart from his grace. God's spirit continually reveals to his children, oh, how faithful he is to continually do this to us over and over again. He exposes um, our human nature to us that really, apart from him, we're ugly, useless, unworthy, ungifted, and weak apart from him. We can do nothing. And I'll tell you what, I have a confession to make. I thought I had already passed the really hard trial test. Um, How many of you have gone through really hard times, right? I mean, all of us kind of have gone through a really hard time, and so I kind of down deep in my heart, down deep in my soul, and I know it sounds so stupid when you say it out there and you hear it, but I thought I had already passed the test of really hard trial. 13 years ago, I was pregnant with twins, and um, early on in the pregnancy, one of, I knew one of the twins was um, at risk. They had, uh, he had a problem with his renal system, and his kidneys weren't functioning correctly and developing. And because of that, uh, he was not going to make it outside of the womb. And so we were living on a prayer. We were praying for a miracle. We had, like, the world, the whole world, praying for this baby. And... Uh, I went into early labor. I was on bed rest for two months. And um, during those months, I was isolated to this little room all by myself. And I drew close to the Lord and I journaled everything that he was speaking to me. It was just like he was my roommate and it was awesome. And we were, I was praying and praying and praying for a miracle. And um, sure enough, in July, I went into labor and delivered two baby boys, Ryder and Jax. And Jax um, was tiny, 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 but you know, was healthy. He he didn't he couldn't regulate his body temperature. He didn't couldn't suck and swallow and other things, um, but he was okay. And Ryder, though, um, God didn't do a miracle, and he was sick and. He, um, about six and a half hours after he was born, the doctor came to us and said, you know, we just can't do anything more for him. Would you like to come and say goodbye to him down in the NICU, or would you like us to bring him up to your room? And um, we were prayed, and we just thought we wanted to spend some time with him alone. So he was brought up to our room, and we got to hold him and love him and sing over him and pray and get on his skin on skin and try to make some sort of memory um, that was being snatched away too quickly. And uh, in that moment, God took him, um, and it was so peaceful. And I was really grateful for the moment of death because you think, what is it going to be like? And it was better than I had ever, ever thought. In the days and weeks that followed, I went into a big depression. And I had never uh, 
experienced depression before. I usually ride life very high most days. And, uh, and I was just depressed. And uh, when I got home from the hospital, my husband wanted to surprise me, and he painted my room, or our room, this eggplant purple. It was like almost black. It didn't help the situation. It's still that color. Um, and so every, every day I would go to the NICU and I would spend time with Jax, eight hours a day. And then I would come home and I would sit on my bed and I was like mad and depressed and just unmotivated to do anything and everything. And um, I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped journaling. And uh, I just didn't, I was numb. And uh, one, one night the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, get out your journal and start making a list of all the things you're thankful for. Okay. So I got my journal, and I started making a list every night. I would write a few things on my list. And so the first few things were, I'm thankful for this blanket. I'm thankful for my bed. Thankful for my house. A couple nights went by, and I was thankful for my AC because it was August. Um, and I was very deep at this point, obviously. It was just, I didn't feel anything. I didn't want to do it, but I was doing it out of obedience. The good thing he didn't have me read the word because I probably wouldn't have gotten anything there either. But I was just being obedient. And I was writing, and I was just, look what I saw, I was writing. And, um, and as I went to the NICU one of those days, um, Jack's, the nurse told me that he was regulating his body temperature. And... I was, I was really grateful for that. Like, I was really thankful. And so I remember writing that in there. And then a few days later, Jax was able to nurse, suck and swallow. And I was, like, legit, like, thankful. And something started happening in my heart. <clears throat> Gratitude was was firing real gratitude. And because of that gratitude, it was like this this pathway. It was this open door into joy that was dead in my life at that point. And so something supernatural happens. And so that was it's another nugget of becoming one with the Father. And that is during your trial, I encourage you, maybe make a list of things you're thankful for. And you might start with your car, you know, shoes, um, whatever it might be. You know, you might start so shallow. But I'm telling you, if I wasn't looking for things to be thankful for, I may have missed the God in the miracle that happened. I may have just said, cool. I get to take him home early. You know, like I just would not have given glory to God in that moment. So make a list of things that you're grateful for. And I, I'm pretty sure the joy will follow. Um, so I really did. I thought that my hard trial test, I had passed. I thought for sure the Lord was not going to like kill me, slay me again like that before. And I know that this whole property thing sounds not as trivial as a, as a son or a child, losing one, a son or a child, uh, but it was really rough in my heart. Um, I remember the day that my husband um, came home from work, and he had 
uh, to lay off 80 people in one day. And, wow. And these were family members that had been a part of our team for 25 years or more. Some of these teachers were his teachers when he was going to school. He cared for them, their well-being, their provision, um, all of that. It was really, really, really tough, uh, tough for him and then for me to be his wife. It was a tough day for me. Um, and then after that, he, we had about a month to pack up the campus, 20 acres. And the Lord kind of used that packing up, though, as kind of like a therapy. How many of you have ever watched that show, Hoarding Buried Alive? Okay. I love it. Because I just, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Anyway, so on this, on this show, everything out of the house comes out, and you have to, like, one person, every single item goes through one person's decision-making process of keep, give away, trash, sell. And that, the Lord had almost everything in every classroom, in every hallway, on the field, in nooks and crannies, like everything passed through Philip's hand. And it was really therapeutic for him. And it was almost as if God, God was allowing him to say goodbye piece by piece by piece. And I'll tell you what, he has not been back since. He's given the keys over to um, the landlord. And since then, so that happened in September of last year. Since then, we started having church at a hotel three miles down the street. And it seemed unfathomable what that looked like because we had never done that. And so now, though, I look at our staff, which is now down to 11 people. Um, the hotel, they set up all these chairs. They pay for the AC. They do the stage. The only thing we need to, do, need to do is bring in our sound system. We take up all of their ballrooms for all of our kids' church, and they vacuum it up when they're done. It is like... So cool. And instead of 20 acres, we're now down to like the left wing of this hotel. And we're all together. And it feels like new life. It feels like a family. And um, the fellowship and the unity that we have, uh, and I think it's because we have remained in the boat. Now, I'll tell you what, a lot of people, they bailed because maybe they don't like doing church in a hotel. I'm not quite sure. But the people that have remained, it is as if like we have stuck it out together and we have linked arms and we've got we've come through this this trial and we are now like on solid ground. Um God made big changes, and oftentimes, when he wants to do a new work in our lives, when he wants to do a new work in our ministries, in our families, um, in our communities, oftentimes it takes huge changes, huge changes. And, um, and we don't want to get stuck doing the things that we are doing because we've been doing them like that for years right? 
because that's when we find complacency and we are kept comfortable. And God uses trials to like wake us and shake us and sometimes break us. So, okay. So in, um, so not only did we change locations in September for our church, like, and, and we actually, my husband still has a job. There are people that still go to church. And uh, we also had to change all of our kids, had to find new schools, and God opened up a, a opportunity for my kids to go to this Christian school two and a half miles from my house, not 35 miles away. Usually it took an hour to get to school every morning and an hour to get back. And so now it takes like seven minutes which is amazing. We're also, we qualified for financial aid, which is like just a awesome blessing from the Lord. But I feel as though like we crash landed and, um, and we stood up and we've got bloody elbows and bloody scuffed knees with gravel in it. But like what I thought we would not recover from, what I thought we would not survive, we have survived and by his grace, by his grace. And I feel as though it starts with staying in the boat because I don't know what, I don't know where we would have ended if we were like, forget this, this is all just crazy. You know, I'm going to go and get an, a, a real job, you know, and at wherever. So, um, so, but we're okay. And we didn't die like I thought. And uh, about that time, God reminded me of that hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And, you know, when, you're, when you've come, like, and you're just, like, ground zero, and you've just stood up, and you're like, was that, is that real life? Like, did that really happen? And you're kind of scared. And the Lord reminded me that my hope is built. It doesn't... So, which means that it, it, it gets bigger and bigger and higher and higher. And yes, my foundation, is in, my foundation is the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But if hope is built, it builds from there. And so he told me, it's okay that your hope feels as though you're just on the first or second floor. I'll, I'll, I'll build with you. I will, I will restore your hope. I will build it with you. Don't, don't feel like you should be a skyscraper right now. It's okay. And so it, it, it made me feel like, feel like oh, it's okay being me at ground level again. When I used to feel like I was, my hope was so big and full. And, and our hope is not built by my power. And it's not built by my uh, might, but it's built by his spirit. And so I'll tell you what, we're moving forward. And we're moving forward slowly. Because it's scary. I'm proceeding with caution. Um, And I know that my hope is building, but in that same token, so is my, my trust. It's like I'm ha- I was having a hard time trusting the Lord again full with full abandon. And the Lord is saying, it's okay. And I know the Lord has never failed me. Um, he has allowed me to fall hard, but he's never left me. He's never, he's always been right there with me. 
Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine used to be like my life verse for years and years and years. And it's almost as if during this time of building my hope and building my trust, like I'm kind of afraid to imagine big things. And so like at our church, we started imagining like, okay, now that we're Sunday service is going good. We should probably start the midweeks back up. But can we trust the Lord? Are people going to come? I don't know. And so sure enough, our midweek study has started, and our men's ministry and our women's ministry and special events are happening. And it's, it's exciting, and I can feel the momentum building and my hope and my trust in the Lord and what I'm hoping and trusting in him for. They're starting to grow and get bigger. And... Um, We've trusted him, and and we step out to do these things in faith, and he meets us there. Um, We just got back from a missions trip to Mexico, and and you know, when you plan these trips, you think, are people going to come? And we had a a team of 20 that came, and, and I mean, we were blessed beyond, but we're sharing the love of Christ and giving out the gospel um, now just internationally, and it's just kind of just a big step for us to take. Um. You see, God uses calamities for his purposes. Sometimes we think calamity hits and he is no part of it. You know, like you've forgotten that like this whole storm is happening and he's over here where the rainbows are. And, but God uses those calamities for his purposes. And believe me, Satan has his own purposes for those calamities, right? His purposes are, first of all, is to devour you with his devour you, to cause you to doubt, to be discouraged, to divide you up, to make you plummet into depression and all the other D words that I've learned from Sandy. Just all that's his purposes. But we need to stay in the boat. We need to stay in the boat during these tough times and these um, and during these trials and not jump ship. We need to remain steadfast under trial because that is when Disaster becomes the catalyst that catapults us into God's purposes. He wants to remove sin from our life. He wants to revive our hearts. And he wants to make us one with him. He wants to use these things to sanctify us, to cause us to look and act and be more like him. James 1.12 says, we first must remain, though, remain steadfast under trial or temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And ladies, this, we're not promised conclusion here. We're not promised like great, the gray skies are going to pass and, and, the, and the, you know, the sun is going to be out and everything's going to be hunky-dory sometime. We're not promised that, but we are promised the crown of life after all of this happens here on earth. Now we hope with great desire, with great confidence that the gray skies will pass, that this trial will pass, but we're not promised it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, for our light affliction, but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Ladies, the trials that you may be going through right now, they are but for a moment, and they are, they are purposeful. God has a purpose in them, and it has everything to do with where we're going to spend eternity. And so let's look up where our eternity comes from. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you that we are the apple of your eye, no matter how we feel, that your love um, doesn't depend on my behavior, what I've accomplished, how I handle all this, Lord. You, uh, your love is, is never-ending, unchanging. But God, I pray that those of us that are going through a trial would see you in it. But Lord, I ask that you would give them the gumption, the strength to remain in the boat, remain in relationship with you, remain in fellowship, that they would not forsake the fellowship, but they would remain in fellowship with the body of Christ, God. Because those are resources that you have put at our fingertips, Father, to help us through these things, God. And along the way, God, I pray you would give us um, ears to hear you, eyes to see you, a heart to know you, all every day of the trial, God. And when we fail, I pray that our hearts would not condemn us because you don't. Your faithfulness continues, God. And I ask that you would just pour out your love. I pray that you would give these ladies hope to endure, that you would give them a strong desire that something desired will happen, a hope. God, um, we thank you that you are the God in the good times as well as in the bad times. You're the God of yeses, but you're also the God in all the noes. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.